Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Live number 456. This week on the podcast, it's our yearly reminder that we could have a general strike. And Joe Manchin wants you to wonder if he's running for president, even though none of us asked. Plus, when Republicans have accidental good ideas, let's let them. And Joe Biden works to unravel as many campaign promises as possible before his 2024 decision. Plus, we're all learning too much about the FDIC. And George Santos. If you think he did it, he probably did. We'll have all this and more. This is Brain Trust Live. Hey, y'all, I'm Brent. I'm Lila, and you can find us on the web at www.braintrustlive.com. It's Oscar Sunday. <sighs> yeah. We were just watching the red carpet, but it's very early here, so there was nobody there. I can't it believe was a questionable that they decision that they were the red right. carpet coverage this early. Right, I saw Who's more shots. I saw, saw more shots of Vanessa Hudgens on the red carpet than anyone. Why is Vanessa have, Hudgens because, at the Oscars? I think she's maybe doing some of their coverage later or something. Oh, so they're previewing her future coverage <laughs> of the Oscars. That's right. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm. Normally not someone who like really goes out of my way to watch the Oscars, yeah. but after happening to be in a place where I was watching the Oscar slap with the perfect oh, yeah. person last time, last year, I like, I was like very dedicated to Oscar watching sure. this year. Yeah. Like that felt like a critical, I, I need to see how this story ends and I'm worried that it won't. I'm worried they won't address <laughs> what was probably the most shocking moment oh, I think in television. I just, that was like a moment where I was like, society's gone off the rails. <laughs> You guys are all here in black tie, like in a room to celebrate yourselves. Yeah. And like, if you can't keep a hold of your emotions in that context, I, know. Then I don't know what to say about society. No wonder everyone's been acting so crazy. But, um, but so that's, I'm really, I'm really here as a viewer, it's like in the, in the spirit that you might view the sequel to a Fast and Furious movie. Sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and it's interesting too, because there's some potential strikes coming, there's Hollywood strikes coming. Labor, uh, labor news in in the industry and that's basically all anyone's been talking about in this award season which i think is probably creating a lot of anxiety around <laughs> right. what is supposed to be a time where hollywood just pats itself on the back and thinks <laughs> right. about how great it is but yeah um there are three potential hollywood strikes in the mix there's a potential writer strike yeah that i think um we will find out if that's going to happen in may but then also at the end of june uh, the WG, I mean the uh, SAG and the Directors Guild also mm-hmm. have contracts come up, and so there's a chance that all three of them will end up on strike, and or that the WGA negotiations will affect how the others go. So yeah. we are potentially looking at a, I mean it could be like a 2007 style shutdown with that many contracts coming up at once and streaming. Yeah. The you know the the sort of business model has been in flux yeah. a bit, and so yeah, this sure. seems like a kind of uh, a moment where we're going to have to set some precedents for yeah. how uh, how various professions in the industry are treated moving forward. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And then also there might be a teacher strike. Yeah, I think that they've agreed to like a three day strike at some point in the next couple of weeks if they continue to be at an impasse in LA, right, in, in I, Los Angeles. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now we're just we did, I just acted like Hollywood <laughs> right, we're with Los local Angeles news. proper, right? Yeah, we're doing local <laughs> news here. Yeah, but um, it's the um, the service employees uh, union which represents you know the cafeteria workers and bus drivers and everything. Like they are really sort of leading this and the teachers are going to join essentially and they are sort of at an impasse over like an across the board 30% raise god bless them I mean 30% get in they, there yeah I mean do it they that they should be given it right. obviously <laughs> uh, but that's a, a big ask yeah um, so good for them strike I, they should strike yeah they we should, should all strike everyone in America should strike Lila you know what time it is right now it's what? it's time for you to remind everybody that we could be having a general we strike we could have a general strike anytime <laughs> You guys, it's your favorite thing to you do. You don't have to be in a union to participate in a general strike. <laughs> right. I've been waiting for my general strike moment to happen for my whole life. I know. This could be the 40th birthday present that uh, oh, yeah. America gives me. Mm-hmm. And I, I would accept that as <laughs> yeah, in, lieu totally. of, in lieu of cash and prizes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I feel like we, in part because there's a lot of concerning economic news coming up, we might be sort of like staring down the barrel of some labor, uh, some contentious uh, labor moments yeah. in American history, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm here for. But also, I really appreciate it anytime a union comes in with an ask that is focused on a big salary ask as opposed to benefits. Because, I mean, I want everyone to have crazy benefits. And I don't like that a lot of the time unions get reduced to negotiating on benefits because people are cutting those back because it's like a secret way to cut salaries. Totally. Yep. However, um, I feel like 
one of, and this is something that in particular actually with the Hollywood unions frustrates me where because, you know, the the value of membership in a lot of those unions really is contingent on benefits because a lot of people don't work consistently in the, totally. you know, the WGA. Um, and because of that, the WGA, like a lot of unions outside the industry, I mean, CWA comes to mind and a lot of unions that pretend to be for Medicare for all, but actually stymie any attempts to in- yep. institute a wider, you know, a Medicare for all system. Um, there's this sort of reliance on negotiating on these sort of like quiet benefits yeah. that unions use to justify their existence. And because of that, they don't, you know, a, a lot of the time labor doesn't actually get like meaningful pay increases because everyone is so sort of like focused on protecting benefits and protecting, and the unions become focused on protecting their right to control that negotiation. So like if we had Medicare yeah. for all, like CWA doesn't get to decide if you have healthcare or not. So, you know, they can't decide whether or not they are going to negotiate on salary increases and retirement benefits, which is what they should be doing. Right, exactly. Because they, you know, they, they lose sort of control of this one sector. And that's, I think, a lot of what's happening, you know, with the Hollywood unions. Like, there are sort of parallel things that they pursue where one is that, you know, the, the industry is changing. They deal with a pretty unique workforce because it's a lot of contingent work. Yep. Um, and so they have to sort of provide value in ways that can, you know, that can transcend uh, the the sort of in the, the way that the work environment is not consistent here. Um, but I don't want the WGA's main goal in life to be protecting healthcare because I just don't think that that's what they should. They should be <clears throat> figuring out how to make writers more money. I like, agree. Fuck healthcare. Right. Do let the state deal with that. And especially for the teachers too. I mean, like, yeah. ask for a thirty. Get that coin. Get that coin. Exactly. Teachers. Right? Yeah, because this drives, like when we negotiate on the basis of these benefits, it drives people's like wages down in a lot, you know, because the, the benefits are quote unquote compensation, totally. but you know, it makes it sound like it's okay to pay anyone $22,000 a year to do anything, which right, is not. Because, right. Because we, we made your, yeah, we, we made your benefits marginally better. <laughs> exactly. But that's, I feel like this is a little bit like the labor negotiation equivalent of having to care so much about abortion policy where it's like a distraction tactic. Like, we shouldn't have to be talking about abortion. You should get one if you want one. You should be able to get one if you want one. And it should not have anything to do with public policy at all. And instead, we spend all of this time parsing what the limits are and what the whatever. And that's an invented issue. You, (laughs) as a person, don't have to care what other people's abortion plans are. That's like actually none of your business or concern. And like in the state, you don't have to care whether they want to do drag. You don't have to care about whether people want to be trans or not. Like, these are all things that are like, fully distraction tactics yeah. that stop you from caring about like how do we make sure we're taxing the rich and covering you know and and making sure that people have an adequate standard of living yeah like that these are all just like wasting our time yeah even though obviously they become important when they're under attack and i think that's kind of like the same thing with benefits and the labor movement <laughs> where it's like yeah, these yeah. are only important because we don't provide these as a right to everyone yeah and that would solve a lot of our problems if we did agreed in any case um, that was longer than I intended to go on about well, that, but you we know. just do our best. <laughs> um, That's right. I mean, also, surprise, we talked about labor longer than we yeah, thought we were I was, going to. I, I mean, it's, well, it's a big labor time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get ready for more of that, you yeah. guys. It's hot labor spring hot or labor whatever. Spring. <laughs> I feel like Chris Smalls is always doing like, you know, oh, yeah, like, doing, a, you know uh, like a TikTok sort of, <laughs> right. hashtag version for, of Right, about like labor whatever movement. labor season we're in or whatever. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but actually, if there, if it's a big labor season, that could be great for some of these, uh, you know, burgeoning labor movements like the Amazon, totally. you know, yeah. labor movement and uh, yeah. Starbucks is, our, you know, there was already. I know. Oh yeah, Howard Schultz, how, I think, is having to go in, right? Yeah. Isn't he, isn't he going to talk to Bernie? I think he's going to talk to Bernie. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we're on the way. In any case, also, Donald Trump might get indicted. Right. And now we bring you the 149th story about Trump maybe or maybe not getting indicted. I mean, I put it on here. Brent put this on the doc, and I was like, Brent, just so you know, when you Google Donald Trump (laughs) indictment, the the vagaries of what comes up are impossible to parse. I don't know what indictment you're talking about. I think we... We heard from some prosecutors in regards to this, like, Stormy Daniels hush payment that it seems very much like some type of indictment is coming from, you know, whatever prosecutor's office Can somebody office just is, get is in there? there? I know. What do, like, let's, as a as a society, figure out what the checklist is of things we need to do to stop him from being able to run for yeah. president. I don't care if he, I don't mean stop him from being able, like, he doesn't have the support. I mean, like, legally make it impossible for him yes. to become the president. Yeah. And, like, like... An indictment feels like an important first step in that checklist of things. Yeah. Let's get that man indicted for something. 
anything. There's so many options. So to many options. From. You could be indicted for any of hundreds of crimes. Yeah. So let's get in there. Um, we have <sighs> some. I wouldn't say this is new candidate news, nor is this news of any sort. But Joe Manchin has been roaming around the Capitol, like hinting that he's going to run for president. Yeah, in ways that like seem fairly like openly like maybe he will yeah. in a sort of surprising way Unless to me because he's like he's got a Hogan-esque distaste for the pageantry of running for president <laughs> right. maybe he doesn't understand how right. this works but I doubt that because he's right. a creature of the hill so. because he's literally answering with his own presidential aspirations he's answering questions that have nothing to do with that with his like he like got asked on CNN about like whether he was you know what he thought about Joe Biden's X, Y, or Z plan or something. And he was like, well, I'll have an update for you on my decisions about 2024 right. by the end of the year. And it was like, nobody even asked you right. about that, sir. Like, what? No, it's literally like, he's just roaming around like fanning speculation about this and is apparently going to continue to do that until the end of yeah. the year. He keeps saying th that he's, quote, not running now. Like, no one has asked you if you're running. Don't worry about it. I know. I'm also not running now, but I have not announced that to even one media source. Yeah, I know. He won't endorse Biden's re-election bid. Sure. Which makes me worry that Biden is running because he also <laughs> hasn't announced. I know. Um, but basically, he's just been roaming around making a huge deal of not knowing what his plans are for 2024. And as we pointed out last week, that's running for President 101. Once you announce that you're not sure if you're running, you have already made the decision to run. Yeah. It's like in the checklist of things, you do private exploratory committee. Public right. exploratory committee is your sort of Yeah, like, we were talking about this last week. It's with like Larry soft Hogan. launching yeah. your run. Soft launch. And then right. you hard launch your run when you actually announce. It gives you the opportunity to steal a media cycle for months with totally. no apparent end in sight. And that's apparently what Joe Manchin intends to do. Also, a lot of speculation that he'll run as an independent, which means that he's basically not running. Like, he's not sure. going to be elected to president as an no. independent. So at that point, But I think he should. I mean, oh, I'm happy I'm to have everybody it. run for president. I, I agree. I want truly anyone who's ever thought to themselves, I should be the president. We should do it this time. Let's all get in there. Let's do it. But yeah, I <clears throat> am curious knowing that Joe Manchin is not going to be the president. And maybe he's deluded. I don't know what his life is. But knowing <laughs> in my heart that he won't be the president at the end of the day, what this buys him politically that he needs. He already has the most power of anyone in the Senate. He's yeah. Well, we've let him have that power. Right. I we've mean, given it to him, but it's, yeah. he got it already. So it's like we don't. He doesn't need to run for president to <laughs> no. have it. He already has it. Right. I like. Is he trying to get a cabinet post? It feels like he could already have that. Yeah. I don't think he needs to run for president the way that Pete Buttigieg needed to run for president. You know, like yeah. So I want us all to put our thinking caps on and think to ourselves. What does Joe Manchin hope to get out of this? I love answers on my desk yeah. by Friday because I. I, I don't fully understand what's going on here. I would also like everyone to put on their thinking caps and think about the reasons that Joe Biden himself would be a better option than Joe Manchin. Because Too true. I'm I'm having I'm, trouble. I'm thinking that the list is short. Well, and <laughs> not that I would vote for Joe Manchin. I certainly wouldn't. But going to get to later in the podcast why why we're feeling that way. This right. Week. I mean, uh, Joe Biden has already spent the last week. Trying Just to like figure out how to trouncing out, on every campaign out Joe Manchin, Joe right. Manchin, because yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah, we'll they're in like a war of moderation right now. <laughs> they are where they're like, who can be the most conservative? Yeah, without being, you know, Donald Trump style conservative. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, how can we get there without yeah. leaving without leaving the party? Yeah. And it's a tough <clears throat> go. It is. Um, we want to talk about a little bit of a random story here, but it's sort of yeah. a rant that I feel like is an important one to go on. Here it's relevant to our larger goals. Exactly. Yes. So there was a vote this week on a bill that was brought by Matt Gates. Matt Gates is no, an idiot. Terrible person. We get it. He's a womanizer. He's potentially a groomer. He's certainly a sexual predator. He should. He's not a person who should be in Congress. No. And we and can acknowledge that. But again, so much like Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. He's got one of the. He's certainly the most punchable face in Congress. For sure. And so we don't think that he should be there. But against all odds and reason, he is. And so he brought up a bill this week to bring home the troops from Syria. They've been there for the last eight years. Obama sent them. They were obviously sent there under, you know, whatever nonsense war powers resolution that still exists, which I think we're still trying to get rid of right. that people, you know, won't commit to voting for. Um, so they've been there for a long time. They were going after ISIS or whatever it was that they were doing there. They probably had some vague mission right. that it's impossible to know whether it's over or will ever be over or, or what. Uh, and even the Obama ambassador to, 
Syria, who was very much in favor of the invasion at the time, is in support of this Gates bill and wrote a letter to Congress urging them all to vote for it. Now, the reason I bring this up is because 40 Democrats voted for this. 40-some. I think it was like 47 or something like that. And the reason that that is notable is because in the last Congress, Jamal Bowman brought up the exact same bill on the floor and 150 Democrats voted for it. Now, for this bill, the CPC, the Congressional Caucus, or Progressive, uh, progressive caucus. Congressional Caucus, <laughs> Just a congressional the Congressional caucus. caucus, all of them, the Progressive Caucus whipped their members, sent out a letter the night before the vote, asked them all to vote for it. There's over 100 members in the Progressive Caucus, right. which is laughable because right. like, there's, 50, some, there's some questionable more, people 50 in 50-some out of them are not progressive. But clearly so. less than half of them voted for it after being whipped for yeah. it. And so my, my issue here is, is that if Matt Gates wants to have a good idea every once in a while, like ending a fucking war, then it's okay if we let him. That's, I mean, we also saw sort of similar confusing uh, situation when there was a joint amendment from Mike Lee and uh, Bernie Sanders over, I can't remember what region. It was another war, ending a war thing. It was, I can't remember what region it was in. But like, those are situations where you... Let a broken clock be right yes. twice a day. Yeah, Ilhan Omar worked on this bill with Yeah. Him. No, I mean, I feel like they're oftentimes members of Congress forget that they are not there just to have a good image. Like, <laughs> right, their job actually has, like, qualities. Right. And so, like, yeah, maybe you then have to figure out how to message why you voted for a Matt Gates bill. But actually, that's the question to answer, not I will I vote for the bill if it's a good idea. <laughs> right. And the, and the Republicans do this, too. I'm not, I'm throwing, yeah, this, no, oh yeah. this is a Democratic-specific problem on this bill. But right. Republicans when, constantly when, do this. I was going to say, when Bowman brought it up, I think 20-some Republicans right. voted for it, and I think almost 60 voted for it here. Yeah. So this is, everybody's doing it. This is a note to all 430-some people member of Congress. in Congress. Every if member of Congress. someone is having a good idea... Right. Let them. Right? I mean, Marjorie Taylor, this is maybe a little bit more of a bombastic thing, but, you know, recently Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about abolishing the FBI, and maybe that's a, a, a reach. But she's also talked about doing, you know, hearings on the FBI. And I think we should let Marjorie Taylor Greene find out publicly on television at hearings that the FBI has over Famously its long and history targeted leftists for <laughs> much more than they have far right, right groups. So, like, if Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to bring people in and talk about how terrible the FBI is, then God bless her heart. Right. Uh, like, well, I, also I, participate in that hearing parti- system. Well, that's the other thing, because too. Because otherwise it will right? prove exactly what she thinks it proves. Because the questions will all be like, when did you start targeting conservatives? Like, let that be a bipartisan discussion if she wants it to be. Right. If you're a member of the far left. Because... Yeah. If we're going to be dismantling government institutions in partisan ways, <laughs> let's do it in a bipartisan way exactly. where we discover that they've been terrible to everyone. If we're going to have to discover that they've been only terrible. 100%. And that's the only way you fix it anyway. Exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah, because I feel like, sure, is that a politically motivated... Also, right. call her fucking bluff. Well, because she doesn't want too. to investigate the FBI. Not she's meaningfully. Saying, no, she's saying that because she wanted to back up Donald Trump when they raided his home. That was exactly that's, what this was for. Of course it was. Right. Call her bluff because the left right. should be wanting to investigate what the FBI has well, been Well, that's the to. thing. And I feel like the left then sort of like disingenuously came to the FBI's defense right, just because off. they went on one raid to Donald Trump's home as if they haven't been raiding leftists since the 50s, you know, exactly. or, or 40s or whenever. I mean, like, so it's, we should just let the people who are there, it's sad that they're there. It's sad that we have to yeah. deal with Marjorie Taylor Greene in Congress. But if she wants to do something that is vaguely a good idea, then like, I just don't understand why we can't. Just let her. That's, I, well, and also, I feel like if your view of how partisan politics should work is that you have to be against everything that your enemy is for and vice versa, then, like, that's why bipartisanship has died. It is, there is a, there is a wide range of political philosophy represented inside the Democratic Party. Yeah. In the Republican Party, too. I mean, it's all stupid philosophy, in my opinion, in the Republican Party. But, like, there's still a wide range of political philosophy there. There are wingnuts like... Oh, we just dropped something. Dropped something. Um, there are wingnuts <laughs> like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. There are incredibly boring Republicans that I'm failing to name right now because I can't <laughs> even remember their names. But, there, you know, there are the, the, the sort of mo- quote-unquote moderate Republicans who because of this extreme take on partisanship, are having to vote for absolutely banana pants policy in an effort to look like real Republicans, just as progressives are constantly voting to start wars and shit because they need to look like they're on board with their party. And like, that has a time and a place, I'm sure, in terms of creating leverage for your political agenda, your broader political agenda. Yeah. But there are times 
where the far left and the far right probably are going to agree on we've weird things about, for reasons you can't That's been a thing that we've out. been talking about on this podcast since we started recording it. That's, I mean, a, if you think about it, ago. like, I think a lot of people, I, I notice a lot of people will ding me for expressing support for populist framings of leftist policy, making, creating an equivalency between the far right and the far left. And I see that the messaging is actually often quite similar. And I also then wonder why the far right seems unreachable to us when the far left is able to use that same messaging to non-nefarious aims. Like, your policy goal is the goal. It's not how you framed it, right? So, like, I feel like oftentimes when we think about, you know, someone like a Matt Gates who we represents a completely different political philosophy yeah. than ours, we oftentimes think, like, that is... The people that vote for him are, like, unreachable people that we shouldn't even bother thinking about how we would frame issues to, to, yeah. um, to get their support. But, like, this proves that if there are aligned goals, the messaging actually can be quite similar. You can and figure it out. You can figure out how to get a bunch of Matt Gates supporters to listen if you right. need to. Sounds like they might be anti-war voters. It sounds like there might be anti-war voters on the right is my bigger <laughs> point here. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, like, that's... There are, there are also... There are people who are accidentally coming up with socialist policy ideas. We were talking just last week just about last J.D. Week. Vance wanting to make birth free. Yeah. Listen, don't let him restrict your right to get an abortion. But if he wants to make birth free, let's let's get on board. Yeah. You know, like I I feel like this is actually we've actually accidentally discussed this very thing in a number of podcasts <laughs> right. recently because these far right wing nuts are so bananas off in Never Neverland <laughs> that they don't have any policy consistency. These right. are just populist talking points that they're spewing. And a lot of popu populism is a, originally a left-wing movement. Well, and a lot also, of populist talking right. points are actually inherently right. progressive. And they're also, the thing that I think leaves an opportunity for Democrats is because they are so stupid, generally, they often are saying these things without much thought. Yes, So exactly. what, what you can do is then put the thought there, mm -hmm. right? Like you can take their insane idea, which is... Doesn't make any sense. No, and has and, no consistent connection like, to anything they think right. about anything else. And be like, oh, that's my idea now. Yeah. And here's how we can make it work. Yeah. No, I I feel like there has been very because the left uh, the the uh, Democrats have been so interested in disavowing the far left, they really haven't thought about why it is that sometimes the Sanders movement sounds to them like a far-right movement. And without being one, like, I think they often will take this sort of, like, qualitative, or, or quantity, I can't, it's not a quantitative, I'm just using the wrong reference, but I mean, <laughs> they'll hear the framing and they'll be like, that's a conservative framing without thinking about the fact that the policy is a progressive policy. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then they'll create a false equivalency between the two. And instead of thinking, okay, if it was this easy to create a false equivalency between the two, how could we harness this kind of messaging yeah. to bring in voters from the far right? It's actually a lot easier often to reach wingnut voters because they don't know what they're... <laughs> there's no consistency to their political right. ide ideology. Right. It's why Donald Trump always... Uh, went with whatever idea was the last one that someone gave to him. Exactly. <laughs> when I remember very clearly, the one time that I converted a pro-life voter when I was, you know, for my voting was in my first when, presidential election. Oh, were, you um, in, were you in an Uber at this point? No, although uh, okay. I do like to do that in an Uber. <laughs> I know Uber. you do. <laughs> but um, I had a friend who was very Catholic who was very much against abortions. Uh -huh. And she was voting as a, she was voting for, uh, you know, George Bush or somebody for president sure. because of it. And I was like, if you're very Catholic, are you also against the death penalty? And she said, of course. And I was like, why is that more valuable to you then? Like, what have, why have you decided that you will, you know, that all of the other things that you believe about, you know, why, you know, about taking care of your neighbor and blah, 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 why are those all less important than this one issue? Maybe, like, there's a different way to value these policy proposals and think about them. Um, yeah. And it was like, everyone had been so focused on this one narrow issue that no one... They was, didn't even really know why. They didn't know why. And like I said earlier in this podcast, it's a fucking distraction tactic. It, yeah. Abortion doesn't belong in the political debate. So like, I feel like we could pull voters easily if we were thinking more strategically. But it starts with giving the far right credit when they have a good idea and being like, that was actually our idea first. Right. Yeah. Remember when we thought of that idea? Right. That's popular with voters. That's why Matt Gates is doing it. Yeah, totally. He's doing it. That's what J.D. Vance probably knows that making birth free is really fucking popular with voters. Yep. Populism will go where the voters are. Mm -hmm. Let them bring the voters <laughs> to us. That's anyway. it. Well, that was another story we didn't think we were going to talk very much about. So. Well, we'll opinions today. <laughs> Who knows what's going on? I'm just trying to put off talking about this fucking bank falling apart. I know. <laughs> <sighs>
Uh, well, we're going to put it off further because we're going to talk about some other stuff first. Yeah, first we have to talk about <laughs> Biden's string of broken promises. Right, this, this week. is what we hinted at here where he's trying to out Joe Manchin, Joe yeah. Manchin, because he's definitely about to maybe go, well, not definitely, but one of the things that's on the table right now is going back to family detentions at the border. You guys. Because I think it's all has to do with, I think this, what is it, Title 42 or whatever yeah, the heck it is that sort of like allowed expiring. us to like send people like back to their country of origin, like due to COVID, I think is yeah. like essentially ending. And like the Bidens have like, the, the Bidens, the Biden administration have like tried to like keep that in place like in the courts essentially because like they don't want to have to deal with like what it looks like after that we've been using this like since the trump administration right to like turn people away so he's going to not be able to do that pretty soon so one of the things that was reported this week that was on the table was going back to family detentions and that went over like a lead balloon i mean everyone and a lot of democrats i feel like probably since he took office probably the thing that like got the most pushback from within his own party. It sounded for all the world like if he didn't reverse course that like Julian Castro was just going to run for president against him. promise of his to totally. end family detention at the border. It was a huge well, hot button issue in it the was presidential a hot, election. And something that we just like absolutely excoriated Trump for rightfully. Rightfully. It's inhumane. So it needs to be treated in the same way now. Yeah. That it was. Well then. it seems like it is being treated it in is. the same way. I can't believe that they thought they had the political clout to Try this. I like. Right. I know that's a complicated situation, and I don't savor the idea of having right. figured out. I, that, that doesn't. I don't want the job of figuring it out. Yeah. But like, I can't believe that that seemed like something that it's, they I know. were willing to have publicly announced about right? their intentions. Like, don't even let that get. Don't leak out. that. Don't like have that. If you're even considering that, first of all, don't right. be. Once you are. You're being evil. Know that to yourself and act accordingly. Yeah. Remember that you're purporting to support an evil policy at that point. Right. Keep that under fucking wraps. I know. Well, and the other thing is, is that besides the fact, you know, you rightfully pointed out that it's immoral and inhumane, it's also being announced in the midst of like us hemorrhaging Latino voters yeah. <laughs> as yeah, a party. It's like uh, strategically dumb too. So, right. So politically, it's a wild choice to have made. I'm, but that's that's him this week. Well, it, that is him because this week. his other move was to make environmentalists hate him. Yeah, it's like, and I don't know where they're supposed to go. <laughs> right, I, I know. Well, I know. But he's about to okay like a massive Alaska oil drilling project that environmentalists yeah. are really pissed about. Yeah. Um. And so, between the two of these, yeah, this week. I mean, one last, you know, he overrode, signed the bill to override the, you know, DC oh, crime DC, that, yeah. that we talked about last week. I mean, he's really taking, he's checking all of the boxes to like go as conservative as he possibly can. Like, and this is crime, such a environmentalism. Wild move in a year where there is like a good chance that he, even if he does run, has a challenger. Like, this is not a sale to your reelection kind of year because he's old and everyone's well, annoyed at him. Well, that's the thing. I th- well, and I think the more that he does stuff like this too, I think that he thinks that he can do all of this safely in the face of what he believes is not having like a credible primary challenger. Like right. obviously, you know, Marianne Williamson is running, but like right. I yeah. think they're going to ignore that as best they can. And honestly, you know, as much as it pains me, I think right. they'll you probably can, be... You understand they'll, why. They'll, right, I understand why. And I think they'll probably be able to get away with it. Yeah. But if you keep... If you spend the next year doing this, then I think then Julian Castro is your I was primary say, challenger. You, That's harder. You, you do it at your own peril, I yeah. think probably because like this shit is not like taken collectively is not gonna fly. No. And I don't think it's going to fly with, like, base voters either. Like, that's no. the other thing, too. Like, I understand that you, usually when you win a primary, you have to tack to the middle. But he's spent his entire first, you know, uh, first administration tacking to the middle here. His first term well, tacking exactly. to the middle. So, like, he doesn't need to tack further to the middle. He, the man <laughs> he needs couldn't to, have reached more of a middle ground. He, he needs to just run as himself. That's right. Uh have so, all the and, ideas and I guess that's what had. he's doing because like yeah, these, no, are these, prob- are his... these are these are probably ideas that he has always had. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it. I I would contend that at this stage when people are announcing, that's when you tack a little to the left. To the left, and then you go back to the middle when the campaign starts in earnest. I agree. You do this in your last year as president. A hundred percent. Like that's if you if you're trying to get those middle voters. Yeah. Bring back family detention in the midst of the election. <laughs> people apparently love cruelty in this country. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. But this is a weird time because now we have a lot of time to think about it. Yeah, we sure do. And people still have time to announce. I mean, Joe Bi- uh, Joe Manchin's not going to announce until at least December. <laughs> so oh boy. Biden also released his budget yeah. this week, um, which, listen, I say this every time. So 
nobody should listen to me, I guess. But in a world in which you have an unfriendly house and your budget's definitely not going to pass and it's just a messaging bill. Yeah. Aim big. Go yeah. go wild. Right? Tax billionaires at 98%. Yeah. Like, shoot for the moon. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like this is a very mediocre budget proposal. It raises taxes on high earners and corporations. Yeah. Um, and it also cuts the deficit, which I don't care about. Yeah. And it because of that is meant to sort of and it like gives some money to like some very mediocre you know sort of like halfway ideas like expanding paid leave and stuff like that which like of course i'm in favor of everyone having paid leave i don't think that this budget sets the opening bid at a very ambitious place though right um so i and i also don't i mean i know that it's i'm just saying this as a person who's living in a fairy tale land apparently (laughs) but like I don't have your opening bid budget cut the deficit. Let the Republicans tell you that you need to cut the deficit. <clears throat> yeah. And they're partly panicking because they did cut the deficit in the last year, but it's about to rise in 2024 because the economy's gone haywire. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to figure out how to message around that. But let that conversation come to you. Don't invite deficit conversations. Right. That's, fra- that's, that's moving the Overton window to the right. I, I agree. I mean, I and know I, you always say this. And I, I stole also, that idea from you. So. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, and, and I also feel like, you know, there are some like good things that are in here. And I feel like the, yeah. they should be pushing those because, and maybe he's just not because, again, he doesn't want to sound like a leftist. But these are like popular ideas. There's a lot more money in there for like childcare. Yeah. You know, it's not like free child a free childcare plan, but it's like child more funding to states to supply free childcare. Like highlight that. It's got his free community colleges back in there, right. I believe. Like, you know, these are all things that are like, insanely popular so it's like go out with those as opposed to um i'm cutting the deficit like and especially like if you're able to do both things i'm with you that i don't give a shit about the deficit but like i feel like the the correct messaging is we can cut the deficit and still do all of these things that you know and love. But I haven't heard anybody say boo about some of these things that are no, that the are, actual, actual things money in, in the there. there's like there's good stuff yeah. in there, but you haven't heard about any of it. Well, that's and that's actually what I think my main frustration. And that's a messaging with, issue. That's a messaging issue. When yeah. you release a budget like this, that is just a messaging budget, you have to think about what the headline is going to say about it. And the headline should not be. You shouldn't leave room for the headline to be about the deficit. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. If you don't have a deficit cutting thing in it, you can say in your interviews about it, that it offhand happens to cut the deficit. But if cutting the deficit is a part of the sell for this bill, which is a very complicated and long-winded budget proposal, you, of course, are going to find that the headline is just about the deficit because the news is is a (laughs) right-wing institution. (laughs) It's framing it in the right-wing manner. Like, don't leave an opportunity for the headline to be about the deficit. Parental leave is in there. Right. Free preschool is in no, there. No, no, no. It's like, <laughs> like the, when you actually read the article about it, there's a long list of good ideas in it. Yeah. But it all, and like, I, I approve. Unless you've taken a deep dive into the news, you just personally haven't heard about any of them. You just heard about, all the headlines are about the deficit. The deficit being and like, look, and raising taxes on million, or billionaires, which is like, great. That's the only good idea that they've had by accident. <laughs> right. Um, but like, it, it doesn't sort of, it doesn't do... It doesn't create any like sort of standout messaging around any of the popular proposals right. in it. And it, because of that, in my opinion, fails as a messaging, messaging bill for a left-wing opening bid on the budget. I agree. Because again, we're negotiating with terrorists here. Basically. Yeah, they're not going to, this budget is not. They even, will bring up the even, deficit thing. They're not even going to use this as like a starting point. No, exactly. Like this is going in the shredder. And that's why I'm saying like, have in your back pocket that it decreases the deficit. So when they say this budget is blah, 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 terrible, you right. can be like, actually. Right, but don't like, have it be the lead story. Don't have it be the lead story. Yeah, I agree. Anyway. Well, Speaking of now, we have to talk about the banks, banking <laughs> stuff, the economy, which is fake. Um, uh, you read this article, so yeah, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> First thing that happened is this morning, I texted Sasha, last week's guest, and said, "Explain oh, yeah. the Silicon Valley bank bank failure to me like I'm a toddler." Good. And that is how I got enough context to understand what the oh. story I read about it. And she was, was able about. to do that. Yeah. Thanks, Sasha. Well, she <laughs> understands how banks work, which I sure. guess I don't. I. I don't like to think about how banks work. So I don't no, care. I don't either. Um, but in any case, there I was, like to just know that my money is protected in there, and that seems to be 
what is maybe at issue here. No. Good news, Brent. You don't have enough money. I don't have enough money. That's right. Every time I read one of these stories, I'm like, oh, this wouldn't, this has nothing to do with me. I know why I panicked because I think one of the banks now that's like dealing with the fallout of this is like First Republic and I do have a checking account there, but certainly not enough. You're insured. It's protected. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry about this. Carry on. Sorry. Um, So in any case, so the second largest bank failure in American history happened uh, this week. Cool. And it's a kind of unique situation that I, I don't, listen, I don't trust anyone who commentates on the economy. Because these fools don't know anything. And my grandfather pointed that out to me when I was a small child. Charlatans. Charlatans. A lot of them. (laughs) But this is sort of a unique thing. Because the bank that failed was the Silicon Valley Bank, which I'm sure you've heard in the news. Mm -hmm. SVB. SVB, which you've heard about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really large bank because it deals with like the VC and tech sector. Yeah, it's a tech bank. It's a tech Mm -hmm. bank. And so at the time of their collapse, they had $209 billion in assets. Um... And so the biggest bank failure in history was Washington Mutual, which had $434 billion in assets. That was one of the 2008 bank failures. Sure. And that was a kerfuffle, as you know, but also resulted <laughs> in taxpayers paying a lot of money to rich people. Yeah. Um, so this all begins, the, the Fed has been raising interest rates. Yes. Um, and because of that, it's getting harder to fundraise for startups. And so startup clients are like withdrawing deposits from their banks to keep their companies afloat. Um, and so because of that, SVB found itself short on capital because there were a lot of people just who weren't able to access VC funding and shit mm-hmm. like that. Um, and their IPOs are going terribly. And it had to, you know, sell all of its bonds at a loss. Okay. And so that, so on Wednesday, it kind of created, there was like a surprise announcement to its investors that they needed to raise $2.25 billion to short right. its balance sheet. Didn't a lot of their investors and other people also like sell off a lot of their stock like before this happened too as if they, like, I think, has yeah. it, haven't there been a lot of reports that like some shady business, knew, I mean surprise, shady banking business There was shady banking business. Right I have another question which is why banks have investors. That's a separate right. question of mine. <laughs> I, underst- I understand what the stock market is also because Sasha explained it to me once. Yeah. But I don't it still doesn't sound like a good idea to me. <laughs> and it sounds less like a good idea when banks themselves are operating as for-profit companies. Sure. And that's what a bank having investors would entail, is it being a business. Yeah. And while I do understand on some level that banking is a business, yeah. like I'm not a complete idiot, <laughs> I also feel like weird about the idea that banks that include like consumer banking services have like investors in addition to it's literally a company that takes money and invests money for the the business model is you investing in it right so i don't anyway i don't understand (laughs) why they also have a separate set of investors maybe i'm misunderstanding that sasha will tell us after she listens to the podcast yeah in any case yeah we'll get notes (laughs) we'll get notes because she did she explained it to me like i was a toddler but obviously that left some details Um, (laughs) but so a bank run commences Customers sure. withdraw $42 billion in deposits by the end of Thursday. Right. And by the end of Thursday, SVB had basically a balance of negative a billion dollars. Jesus. Um, so part of the reason that this happened so quickly is because this is a bank that services the tech industry. Right. And so everyone is really interconnected. And so a bunch of VC funds that fund startups sent an email out to their lists of startups yeah. and were like, pull your money out of SVB. It's yeah. about to fail. And then social media freaked out because they'd done that and everyone panicked. Yeah. So there was like a bank, like a 1929 style run on banks. Yeah. But it was only this bank the in bank. this industry. Yeah. So this is an insured bank. Since 1929, we've insured banks. Um, right. Good old FDIC. When you see FDIC insured at your bank institution, that's, that's, what, right. that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But FDIC only insures up to $250,000. <laughs> um, and a lot of people had a lot more money than that in the bank. Yeah. As I said, if you're listening to this podcast, this probably doesn't affect you. <laughs> Um, so in any case, so the FDIC said that they would pay these, uh, customers, their FDIC insured sums, uh, they announced that they were going to do that on Monday. Um, but they have about the, the bank had about one, $151.5 billion in uninsured deposits, 137.6 of which are held by American customers. Yeah. So the vast majority of the uninsured deposits are, is American customers and Got American it. businesses, um, who are not insured. And so some of these, some of this money will eventually be returned to people when they sell off, they, they're going to liquidate all the bank's assets and yeah. so they'll sell off bank assets. But it's not clear that all of it will be because obviously the bank is in the red. Um, yeah. And I might have a stupid solution when you get done. Um, oh, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> and also I have a separate solution, which is to not worry about it. But 
Um, well, my solution is related. But yes. <laughs> continue. <laughs> In any case, this the, how this affects you, a person, is yeah. A, that a lot of startups are going to have cash flow issues and that, you know, I, I do, I feel very frustrated that there is such a thing as a trickle-down effect in economics, but you only failures trickle-down. Success never trickles down. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So the, the trickle-down failure of this will hit regular people probably. Not yeah. all of us. You know, like not all of us. Um, but the successes weren't hitting all of us. Like it's more just that like people's companies won't be able to pay them. Companies are going to have issues paying their rent. Like there's going to be like issues like that because yeah. the company, the, the companies that had their money there are going to have cash flow issues. Um, and I think the... There are now a lot of rich tech people calling for bailouts because obviously rich people always assume that the federal government will bail them out. And it probably right. will, knowing how the federal government works. Sure. Um, but Supposedly also, it's off the table, Janet Yellen said. I, I know but. she said that. I wonder if she's using that term in a very narrow sense when she could be using it in a broader sense. Like, right. we don't let rich people It's off the table, fail. but it's on a nearby secondary table. Exactly. We're calling it... We're it's calling sitting it on the like, chair that is you know, at the table that it's not on. Reimbursement instead of bailouts or something. Like, we're going to use a different there's word a, to describe there a whole, it. Um, there's a whole veep about this. Remember yes. when she was trying to decide whether she was going to bail out Charlie Baird's bank? I yes. don't know why that name just came to me. I mean, I'm impressed. Uh, uh, who she was dating at the time, but, like, she was refusing. They were calling it every name under the sun yes. other than a bailout, but they were just doing bailouts. This... <laughs> life is a veep episode uh, uh, in so many ways. Um, yeah. But so in any case, there's a few concerns. One is obviously investors, like the broader stock market got concerned that other banks would fail. Right. And there are, because of that, a bunch of smaller banks that saw their cash, their uh, their stock prices plummet. Yeah. Again, why are they on the stock market? <laughs> Separate question for me. Um, but also, like most people are not thinking this is a 2008 situation in part because Silicon Valley Bank is really it wasn't well diversified because it's a bank that really just deals with like Silicon Valley. Yeah. And so because of that, almost all of their investments were in one basket, basically. Like they, yeah. all their eggs were in one basket. And so most banks are better diversified than that. This is a sort of like specific uh, industry problem that resulted in, a, in an industry where no one makes a profit ever. Well, I mean, like very true. it's not like starting a business in traditional world time where you... <laughs> you know, you start it in debt and you eventually make a profit and you like get out of debt. Yeah. That's not how Silicon Valley works. No. It's just debt until you fail. And then later you just start a new company with different money that That's is right. also failing. Yeah. So there's, there's no, <laughs> so there's never any end point in sight. And also it's very impacted by the sort of crypto crashes that have been going on because those are all the same people. I think we know that in our hearts. Sure. Um, and so <laughs> that's like, if you're like a person who's like not invested in crypto, then you're also probably a person who doesn't work in Silicon Valley. Right, exactly. And yeah. these are all kind of contained within those industries. But that said, anytime that investors get nervous, the stock market being a fake gambling operation that is based entirely on confidence and nothing else uh, can fall apart. And that can impact the rest of us, which is why they always justify these bailouts. Because when rich people fail, like I said, their failure does have trickle-down effects on the rest of us. It's yeah. just that their successes don't. Yeah. Anyway, that's what happened. And here's what I have to say about it. Yeah. I don't think the economy is real. So <laughs> I feel like, I mean, one thing that Janet Yellen has said, which I do think is really the crux of the problem is like, how can we bail out the people that were affected instead of the money? That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I, I feel like the investors of the bank, the CEOs of the bank, all you of, made the, a bad investment. All of Sorry the, about it. all of those people. But like, if there is... I'm looking a small at, oh, what startup was that can't pay their right, secretary. Right, exactly. If there is $151 billion overall in uninsured deposits that people like might not get back because that's not what the FDIC insures, I, I, it seems fairly simple for the Fed to just be like, here's $151 billion more dollars. We're going to move a decimal point on our spreadsheet, right. which is literally what the Fed is doing. And, and I'm using literally correctly. I mean, yeah. like that's literally what they do yeah. to make more money, right. right? And then that money can just get sent by the Treasury to the bank it can just go back into the i mean maybe not to the bank maybe it goes directly to the you know well, the, the people think, who had their it probably doesn't go back to the bank because i don't think yeah, no, we don't know we don't know the, the bank itself a single penny bail out the bank don't is bail, my point. don't bail, bail out, out the people out the that were screwed over by the bank that's what i'm saying right, yeah exactly like yeah. that's i think the, and it doesn't have to be a big deal 151 billion dollars is pennies right no that's <laughs> but like I feel like when we in the past have bailed out banks we have done it to save the institution yes i 
And I think this is actually Screw not SBB. what Janet Yellen is talking about. But don't save the institution. No. Make sure that the people who needed the money get their money back. Yeah. But we don't, don't save the institution. The world institution. doesn't need SVB. No, exactly. There's other banks. There's other banks. They're just as evil. People can go right. there. And I think we should probably look at what the FDIC... I mean, it's I just like... Not that I'm like out here trying to protect rich people, but assuming that a lot of these are like small businesses and startups and various yeah. things who like do have employees who are like probably like trying to feed a family, it seems as though like perhaps oh. maybe... Uh, uh, the the small business is trying to feed a family. The the people the people who work there is trying to feed a family. Um, it seems like you know maybe we should be looking at like what a, it's it's weird to me to think that not all of the money in our banks is insured and that's sort of scary. Even though I have nowhere near two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a bank. Oh, I actually <clears throat> am not that bothered by that. <laughs> um, I one of the interesting things about this last week is listening to the sob stories that have emerged. <laughs> sure. Where it's been a lot of people who have considerably more money than everyone else. I mean... Saying and framing themselves as if they're struggling families. And yeah. listen, I don't want a big institution's failure to fuck up your business. So like right. I said... I agree. I if, you are owed, if you are owed a paycheck... At a startup you, you where should, you're the, you know, executive assistant making $50,000, then like... You should get your paycheck. Correct. I right. think that there should be policy A to ensure that when a failure like this happens, the assets that remain go Uninsured, to the people right. that need They still them get, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that, I think, is the first order of business. But also, that's why I'm saying bail out maybe the individuals that were impacted by this. Don't bail out the institution ever. Like that's, I think, I don't care if you are investing in the stock market, you gambled. Like we all know that yeah. that's inherently risky. Yeah. So like anything that preserves the value of the thing that you were investing in. And if you were over invested in that, that's on you. That I, that, that I completely agree with. But yes. like, obviously if your money was in the bank, that was your money. Yeah, it was your money. That's different. Yeah. Um, but I also, it has been interesting to see how... Uh, the people sort of in fa and bailouts being used in a very broad term on the internet right now, uh, very broadly yeah, yeah, on the yeah. internet right now. And like I said, I'm always in favor of bailing out regular people. I just, the look of bailing out regular people who are complaining that they are trying to feed a family on $250,000 a year <laughs> and this is going to make that difficult yeah. is it in a society where we don't offer basic protections right. with their minimum wage is seven dollars yeah like <laughs> right. that's where i think we get into like the reason you have to have a just society is so that when a bank fails like this especially a bank that no poor people have money in because you know what right. if chase manhattan fails that is going to be a fucking disaster right, exactly. because a lot yeah. of poor people have their accounts at chase too <laughs> right. this is a bank that like poor people don't bank at yeah. so like that's why it's been such a sort of complicated discussion on the internet because a lot of people I think rightfully don't have much sympathy for the victims of this in part because we're talking about a wealthy sector of society yeah. and the people that are going to be impacted on the sort of trickle down failure end are not invested in that bank itself. They don't no, their not. money is not at SVB. No, they probably had no idea that their company was even banking exactly. at SVB unless so they noticed it on a Make sure that right. people's employees like the salary right. part is protected. Yeah, yeah, make yeah. sure their bills are paid. Yeah. I don't fucking care about their VC money being protected. So there's an aspect of some of this money that I also don't care about. <laughs> um, and I certainly don't care about protecting the institution itself. No, not even a little bit. if a bank can fail, then it wasn't being well managed. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. And yep. if your bank is involved in risky business like this, I like in 1929, I don't think that's on you to know necessarily. You're just some idiot with a bank. <laughs> I The federal government should right. be regulating banks so that they can't fucking do this kind of shit. Yeah, well, we're not going to do that. I mean, so. no, we're never going to do that. <laughs> It's sad. Okay. Yeah. But in any case, believing that the economy is fake makes it easier to stomach news like this, <laughs> I think, in a lot That's of ways, true. because these are all solvable problems. The actual individuals that were affected by this could be bailed out. I know. Easily, if yeah. we decided to. I well, I texted frustrated you. frustrated that people in medical debt aren't being bailed out. But, I know. You know. <laughs> I texted you no less than three times, I think, over the span of the last... 48 hours asking you whether we were going to be required to talk about this on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it, I needed to talk about it to re-verify that I don't think that the economy is real. Yeah. And that banking is a man-made institution. And also, I understand that the business of banking is taking people's money and then using it to invest in things and, yeah. you know, making investments, whatever. Sure. I, it's, I, there's something to me that like, 
there are layers that are that I don't think belong in the banking industry once you bring investors into a banking institution yeah. because a bank is holding your money. That's you are investing in your bank. Yes, that's true. And so yeah. I feel like the idea that there were bank stock prices plummeting is a little concerning to me because I don't think that banks should be on the stock market because <laughs> they're a service. Yeah. They're a public service. Yeah. Anyway, this is why we need public banks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, isn't Bernie Sanders always trying to get the public the public banks put in post offices? Yes. Having a public bank would be, I mean, it wouldn't solve any of these people's problems. They're just VC <laughs> people who don't have real businesses. But, uh, you know. Yeah. It, it would. It would solve a problem. It would solve a problem. Yeah. Really, unarguably more important one. <sighs> Agreed. In any case, if, if you uh, have less than $250,000 in the bank, don't worry about this story. Yeah. <laughs> You're... <sighs> the bank run is not going to affect you. When your bank run happens, you will get your money back from the FDIC. Yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. More George Santos news. That's always exciting. Yeah. Apparently, in addition to his many other crimes, <laughs> he was also orchestrating a credit card skimming operation in Seattle in 2017 um, and got outed by uh, somebody else who was being questioned about it. <laughs> so... Yeah. He said, Santos taught me how to skim card information and how to clone cards. He gave me all the materials and taught me how to put skimming devices and cameras on ATM machines. Yeah, that this feels was, like George Santos. Yeah, this was in a declaration that was uh, submitted to the authorities by his New York attorney. Unbelievable. So. The gift I mean, that keeps on giving. Of this, we're entering the, well, we're not entering. I feel like this was always the era that we were in. But we were, were, were in a similar era of Donald Trump to a lesser degree where you can sort of, obviously this was happening. Yeah. Right? Like, when you hear a story you know about George, heart. you know in your heart, right? Like, um, things would come out about Donald Trump that sounded, like, so ridiculous that that could have never happened. But, like, of course it happened because yeah. it was Donald Trump and, like, anything that... Anything, anything you heard about what he was doing, he was definitely thing that you can think up about Donald Trump most certainly happened. That's right. right? There was the whole thing with, like, oh, God, is does that tape of him saying the N-word actually exist? Of course it well, does. Well, maybe maybe the tape doesn't exist, but, like, I don't think we'd... Like, we, we, in our the hearts... The reason we asked that question... In our hearts, we know. We knew in our hearts right? that he's a man who and, says the N-word. And in our hearts, we know that George Santos, regardless of what he says in response to this, yeah. definitely was cloning people's credit cards. Of course he was. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is just, like, the common sense era it's of the politics. Com, it's the com, yeah, you have to use your common sense. Where you can't listen to what people are saying. You just have to know in your heart. Because this is another thing where it's like, who would bother making this up? Right. <laughs> why would we need, in addition to as many other crimes, why do we care if, you know, George Santos is skimmed? Like, you would only think to say this because it was true. <laughs> right. This right. isn't a cool enough lie to be a <laughs> lie. Like, it's not a cool story. No. It's just like a no, very obvious not. thing that he was definitely up to. And I felt that way a lot with Donald Trump where it was like people would say stuff and I would be like, who would bother making this up? It's a boring crime that we also know for sure that he committed. So we don't totally. need the proof. Yeah. Sometimes common sense is enough. Sometimes common sense is enough. Yeah. Um, this is an, this next story is another common sense story. Truly. Because, you know, look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of drag bands going on right now. There's a lot of bands fucking around with all parts are on of a the LGBTQ community and we will probably at some point talk about more of mm. those things maybe, yeah. maybe we'll have a guest on whatever because there's a lot of it and it's unacceptable and obviously we are you know i'm like we're not trying to have we're shocked by it yeah but the specific thing that we're going to talk about and this always seems to happen with these guys where like they will pass a bill and then you find out someone associated with the bill is gay or been doing something questionable online, right? Or like, you know, whatever it is that they're it's, doing. It happens all the it's time. It's every politician. All it's the every time. megachurch pastor. It's right? every, I mean, any of 100%. The, it's all of the youth pastors in America. It's, it's anyone who's virulently anti-gay or anything in the right. ballpark of gay is uh, projecting. Yeah. And Tennessee this week passed theirs, or maybe it was last week, I can't remember, a yeah, drag performance week, yeah. ban, essentially. And we also learned this week that the lieutenant governor of Tennessee, who's, I think, like 80 or 79 or something like that, has been using his um, official Instagram account uh, to comment on, like, these really thoughty Instagram pics from this, like, 20-year-old twink who, like, only posts pictures of himself, like, in underwear. Uh and he is like commenting on all of these pictures, like I love it with heart emojis, <laughs> like all over the place, just like commenting up a storm on like this twenty-year-old, you know, s- skinny homo in uh, 
I'm gay, so I can say that. Um, uh, <laughs> I think our listeners have heard about that. I don't know. <laughs> They've heard about that. <laughs> right. They listened to this entire podcast not knowing not that knowing. that was the case. Uh, friends. Coming to you live from West Hollywood. Wow. <laughs> Guys. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, just a classic. A tale as old as time. A tale as old as time. Well, yeah. I often wonder, like, one thing that I think always crosses my mind when people start getting really hopped up on like banning fun things in queer culture (laughs) is that they're like making them more exclusive and exciting for themselves. Like, Oh yeah. What has raised, what rise, what raises the profile of drag more than banning it? Totally. That makes everyone want to go to, I mean, no one's, people are bringing their kids to drag shows now. It's like people didn't used to go to drag brunch with children because it was like, why bother? (laughs) But like now people are as a statement having to go to drag brunch with their children. I know. Just to show that their children aren't being traumatized by drag. (laughs) And it's like, I mean, it's probably triple the size of every drag brunch in America. (laughs) Like that's the, these things just raise the profile of the very thing that you think is harming children yeah in a way that makes it feel like you're doing a service to yourself as a closeted person (laughs) right exactly yes because that's i mean instagram i mean twitter i know tiktok one of the i know (laughs) i got there (laughs) um I once, when I was a kid, my grandmother once used every name in the family, including my dogs, before she got to me. She just oh, like yeah. fired off like five, six yeah, different totally. names uh-huh. and then finally got to me only at the very end. Yeah. Um, but on TikTok, it, there's like a whole subculture now of people having to TikTok bringing their kids all over America to go to fucking drag shows Yeah. because they needed to show that their kids are not being adversely impacted and mm-hmm. then other people who are having to there's a lot of trans people on tiktok right now having to remind people that if you're going to be passing bathroom bills that still invites conversations about trans people because when you see men in your women's restroom you're going to have to answer questions from your children about why that is like yeah i mean it's not these aren't solutions they're not solutions they're but they are doing a lot for the drag community i would guess in i guess I, I get, until that ban actually goes into place and there isn't one in Tennessee anymore. Oh, I mean, Brent, like... there is going to be a very popular <laughs> underground drag scene in Tennessee. Do not... It's... Listen. Yeah. If you want to kill drag, make it so that it seems like suburban moms are going to it. Make it... <laughs> well, they are. I mean, now they're having to, though. They're having to do it to prove points. Like, make it so commonplace that only avid drag fans are going to drag brunch. <laughs> Don't make everyone have to do it out that's of political both, that's obligation. That's what both drag queens and... Gays would prefer. Exactly. <laughs> That's no, it's yeah. it's like a thing where you harm people and you don't even get your desired result. Think yeah. strategically. Do you hate drag? Make it uncool. Don't make it banned. <laughs> right. That's how you kill drag. <laughs> but that is these people aren't thinking uh, like scheme, schemers. No. They're this is all I nothing frustrates me more than people being hateful in a way that isn't even clever like this is just like hateful but it doesn't serve any real purpose so it's just causing a lot of mishigas for everyone with no outcome other than people suffering and no purpose like that that if you're going to be part of a community that hates everyone be funny. Do something else. Like offer something in exchange for being Well, hateful. and I also feel like, again, just sort of like going back to like obviously the fact that like this is hateful. Yes. I feel like, you know, one of the things, and we didn't pull specifics on this story this week, but one thing that we learned interestingly this week, I think, was people's thoughts on wokeness. Yes. Which the word itself still interestingly has a positive connotation yeah. amongst a large majority of the population. And I think some of these Republicans, you know, Ron DeSantis most notably probably, I think have potentially misjudged yeah. the where Americans are at on some of these issues. And I totally. think that like this is going to be seen, especially if it starts sweeping the nation, which it seems like it's going to because a lot yeah. of conservative states are getting but, up to this. It's going to be seen by the majority of Americans as having gone too far. Yeah. And, and That's I, what I'm they've, saying. Like, they've you, overplayed you their hand. You overplay hands. your hand when you try to yeah. do it this way. And I'm glad that they have. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate because I think we'll have to deal with a, a short amount of time where we're going to have to deal with a bunch of bullshit. Right. But like they will understand at a certain point when they lose because of this that they they fucked up this is how we ended up with gay marriage you guys well yeah 
a bunch of places overplayed their hand because they thought people cared too much about other people getting married. Right. And so they passed a bunch they of passed insane, a bunch of arcane, insane laws. arcane laws. And then people were like, oh, I don't want the government in this my business this much. And then right. suddenly it was legal federally. <laughs> right. So that is where you end up when you pursue. That's why I'm saying like this is, they fail. This is a way to fail at this. Yeah. So if you really, for some weird reason, hate drag performances that much. Right. This is, this is how you make drag performances so commonplace. Well, that they're idiots is yeah, their main problem. Idiots. That's my, that's, I think, my frustration with them <laughs> at this moment. Beyond just being generally frustrated, I just hate when stupid people, people, I hate when people are being stupid and hateful. <laughs> right. it's like, I don't want to yeah. have to talk about this story and there's not even a clever. No, like, I know. I, every once in a while, Donald Trump does something so clever by accident that I'm mm -hmm. like, at least that entertained me. You know, it kept me in the game. Like, I'm not yeah. going to support it. No, this but, is just only horrible. This is just mean. Yeah. Don't be mean to people. No. For no reason. You don't even, you don't, you're not even trying to get clicks. You're not even being mean for clicks. It's rude. Anyway. All right. That's the news. That's it. Enjoy the Oscars. If you've already watched it, if you're listening to this, but <laughs> probably I hope, well, I don't hope you enjoyed it that much. They're kind of dumb, but you know, do your best. Yeah. Next week, we'll talk about whether we should continue to have the Oscars. Right. I, th I think we already, by asking the question, have previewed the answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. But we'll talk well, to you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.